Psalm 6, and the title this morning is uh, Prayer from the Depths of Despair. So uh, big title and big subject, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. First, I just want to give you a little bit of what we did this past week. Uh, Me and Charles and Matthew and Ronnie went to the Toronto area for the GCC uh, annual conference, and the theme this year was Unashamed. It was fantastic. There were 800 people there from, I think it was 17 countries, something like that, and uh, a lot of churches represented. So if you're wondering what GCC is, it's Great Commission Collective. That's our church planting network. It's our church network, and great conference, wonderful time. So I just want to show you some pictures. That's kind of the lobby and then people mingling. This next picture, uh, Adam King and his team was there, which was great. Uh, last Sunday, I was at their church, family church, and we installed their very first elder in addition to Adam. So that was amazing. This is 800 people extending their hands in prayer toward Adam and the other planters who are pictured there on the screen. So it gives you an idea of just what God's doing. And then this next picture, this is fun. This is me and the guys at Niagara Falls. So that was, I think that was Matthew and Charles's first time at Niagara Falls. It was Matthew's first time out of the country. So that was fun to get him over a border and just make sure he had his passport and stuff, you know. Uh, so it was a great time. And then this last picture is us with uh, the Turks and Caicos team. So right beside me there is Pastor Kenyatta. It was great to be with their team. We were in a workshop together. Kenyatta's sitting behind me, pats me on the shoulder. He goes, hey, can our team come to, come to uh, dinner with your team? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. And then he goes, all right, figure out where we're going to eat, and then you buy our food. <laughs> Which is what that guy does to me all the time. So um, anyway, they're great. They're doing well. They're encouraged in the Lord. And um, it was great to be together with... It was great to be together with brothers and sisters in in the Lord from all over the world. And just so that y'all know, um, if you want to go to the annual conference or GCC, you can. Uh, Just put it on your calendars for next October. It's next October, the 22nd through the 24th in Davenport, Iowa. It's a great time. It would encourage your soul. And whatever ministry you have here in the church or whatever passion you have within the kingdom of God, there's probably a workshop for you and you would be super fed by God's word in the sessions as as we were. So it's a great time together. All right, let's get into God's word. This is Psalm 6. I already said the title, Prayer from the Depths of Despair. All right. Um, For those of you who have been here at Harvest for a long time, you know some of this. But for those of you who are new, and there there, uh, are many of you, by God's grace, uh, just a little update about me. And so you know me. Um, Years ago, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Determined it was time to just go talk to some doctors about some things that were uh, continuing to exist and I couldn't seem to eradicate and had some great counsel toward that, uh, those meetings and appointments. Basically what had happened is difficulties and despairs in my life had stacked uh, to the point where I, I couldn't really keep up with managing that and needed some healthy outlets toward it and got some great care. And I encourage anybody here who is facing any of those things to do the same thing. Come talk to me. I'll share my story and just want to help you toward recovery. Uh, one of the hardest things about that season for me was waiting on God to intervene. Uh, because I was bewildered and I was confused, thinking like, Lord, what, what is going on? Like, I'm walking with you. I'm meeting with you. I'm praying. I'm um, being honest about these things. I'm repenting of sin. I'm like, what's going on? And, and uh, it was a lot of waiting on the Lord. And I had to work through that with God. I had to work through that about, okay, what does this mean about God that he's allowing me to go through this? And I'm kind of saying, how long? 
pretty, pretty regularly to him. And by God's grace, eventually I healed and I no longer have major depressive disorder and God's brought me through it and that doesn't happen to everybody. I praise God for that, that it's happened to me. It's his grace. Um, but I want, I want everyone here to hear that what I faced was real. And uh, if you're here and you're facing despairs of that kind, like the labeled kind by a, by a medical doctor, or if you're facing the ones that are unlabeled at this point, uh, I want you to know that the despairs that you face are real, and God sees those as real, and God's word speaks to those things. And we as Christians uh, want to be good at understanding that we can go through deep things as human beings, and the Lord is right there with us in those deep things, even when it feels as if he is not right there with us in those deep things. So we wanna be mature as a church in the way that we can handle these things, the way we can encourage one another in the Lord. We wanna be a place where we can come and be approachable about the things that we're facing and someone can come and and know that they're gonna gain a listening ear in you if they were to bring to you what they're facing and we wanna be people as we're going through things that would go to other people and that was my problem. I wouldn't necessarily go so quickly to others because I wanna be the guy people come to and right, so... Um, as, we, as we think about this subject, um, what we face, what I faced, uh, does not match the depths of what King David faced and what Jesus faced. And uh, maybe you're thinking, that seems kind of unfair and a tricky way to start a sermon, well, I, but it's true. Right? These things are in the scriptures so that we know that, man, David went through this and this was really hard. And honestly, I think he went through it at this level so that it could be in God's word so that we could read it and understand, I can get through this with the Lord. All right, and then Jesus, for sure, he went through far more than David went through, obviously. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. He, he sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was going to endure the cross. Then he died and rose from the dead. He fought off all of evil in the stranglehold of death, and he won. Right, that's our Lord. He's been through far more than we will ever face, and David has been through far more than we will ever face, and for those reasons, God's word is the best place for us to turn for hope and for truth and for guidance in the midst of our deep despairs. And I know that all of us have a lot of options where we wanna turn. And this world has lots of options for us. And they're like, try this one, try this one, try this one. And we're like, fail, fail, fail. And sometimes we come to God's word and we're like, I don't know if that's working either. And uh, David was in that zone. He had chosen God's word, he had chosen the Lord. And so, but he, as we get to the end of this Psalm, you're gonna realize God's word did not fail him. God did not fail. And we wanna see that together as a church, all right? Psalm six is the raw, despairing emotion that King David felt during his son Absalom's rebellion. And the raw, despairing emotion that King David felt during the national conspiracy against him that he was a terrible king. And the raw, despairing emotion that King David felt during assassination attempts on his life, which if you're reading uh, Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, they're happening all the time. And then it's the representation of the raw and despairing emotion that King David felt during God's disciplining of David because David had sinned with Bathsheba. And so David's thinking, Lord, I've... I've repented of my sin and these bad things are still happening. You've forgiven me and these bad things are still happening. Lord, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your guy, but these things are still happening. So how do I sort all of that, Lord? How do, I, how do I think through who you are and who I am and who the wicked are and it feels like I'm receiving what the wicked deserve? That's, that's Psalm 6. 
All right, so all of this flows from the Psalm 3 superscript. If you're here uh, for the first time, uh, the superscript is, the, is that kind of all caps line right underneath uh, the chapter number. And the Psalm 3 superscript is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so Psalm 3 is that opening prayer, that opening subject. Psalm 4 zooms in to David's evening prayer as he's facing all of that, gives us an evening prayer. Psalm 5 is the morning prayer as he's facing all that. And then Psalm 6, by God's grace, is him coming out of those things. But before he comes out of it, we're going to see him in the deepest deeps of it. So Psalm 6 gives us words and hope amidst the deep despairs. And here's the big idea today. It's abide in God when despair abides in you, okay? Now, I think one of the hardest things for somebody who's facing despair is to be given something to do. And I recognize that that big idea is in the imperative. And it says, abide in God. And I go, oh, God, I gotta do something when I don't have any energy, when I don't have any emotional horsepower. Pastor, you're telling me to do something? And just from experience, uh, yeah, I am but it's abide, which means rest, which means hold on to what is true and right, okay? Abide in God when despair abides in you. So, so Psalm 6, we're gonna break it down into four pleas of an abiding Christian during deep despair, okay? Four pleas of an abiding Christian during deep despairs. The first one is this. It's I need your grace. How many of y'all have ever prayed just to the Lord, I need your grace, right? You're going through something, you're not even thinking. It just comes out of your mouth like, Lord, I need your grace, and that is verses one through three. Look at this. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? So what David was facing wasn't a bad day. Agree? It wasn't a bad day. Uh, all of us have bad days. David had many, many, many of them stacked together. David was languishing. He uses that word. Pulling himself up by his bootstraps was long ago tried, and it's now tired. Even his go-to fighter prayer, but you, O Lord, is followed by the despairing how long. He's still interrupting his thought process with, but you, O Lord, but he's adding to it, how long? Like, I trust you, Lord, but how long? Lord, this is unfair. This doesn't seem right. This terror is long-lasting. How long, Lord? And I think of these thoughts, these, these verses here, I want us to recognize that David isn't being whiny. He's not being whiny, he's being honest. And, and it's not like he's making up these feelings, he's feeling them, he's going through them. He's not being whiny, he's being honest to his loving God. And, and these prayers are not misguided, they in fact are aimed to who? They're aimed to God, so they're not misguided, they're perfectly aimed, and I want all of us to see and feel that. We can pray these prayers to the Lord, so let's, let's break down what he's, what he's praying. He's saying, rebuke me not, rebuke me not. And that's a cry for mercy from someone deserving rebuke. And y'all, all of us deserve rebuke from the Lord because of our sin. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is the, is the gift of Jesus, his son, right? 
He says, be gracious to me. And that's a plea from someone who is already low. You know, when you're like going down into the lows, you're trying harder and harder and you're like, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'm trying to get myself up. I'm trying to claw my way out. But when you're at the bottom, you're like, I got nothing left. Lord, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. And he's probably not even screaming. He's like, just be gracious to me. And then he says, my bones ache. And that's said by a person who is deeply crushed by life. The terrorists described here match the terrors from Psalm 2. And uh, in Psalm 2, the terrors that he is feeling are supposed to be terrors that go toward the wicked and God's enemies, but those terrors are happening to David, and that's David's beef with God. He's like, Lord, the wicked are doing just fine. They're prospering. You're not judging them, but I'm feeling what you told me in Psalm 2 that they would be feeling. What is up with that? Lord. So David's using Psalm 2 as three things. He's using Psalm 2 as his theological mooring, right? He's, he's on the waves, struggling, seasick with life, struggling, and he's holding on to what God says in Psalm 2 is, I trust this. Each line of David's prayer includes God's covenant-keeping name, Yahweh. Four times in verses one through three, he's crying out to Yahweh. He's saying, Lord, you are the covenant keeping God. All of those things mean, Lord, I need your grace. So he's going to Psalm 2 for theological mooring. He's going to Psalm 2 for his, for hold fasts, for prayer. He's like, Lord, you, you say this, and so I'm going to believe it. And you say that you put Jesus on your holy hill. I believe that. But right now it doesn't feel that he is. And it feels like his holy hill has been overtaken by the wicked. But I believe that he's there. I believe that. And so he's holding fast to the Lord. And then the third way he's using Psalm 2 is emotional guardrails. God created emotions. Emotions are good, but emotions can have guardrails from God's word. And so he's, he's keeping all of this within the guardrails of God's word. He's saying, God, you say this, but this is happening, so Lord, would you act? Derek, Derek Kidner is a, is a Bible commentator, and he wrote a two-volume thing on the Psalms. It's great. If y'all want to get a commentary that is fantastic to just follow through in this series, I read it weekly in preparation. It's great. Um, He wrote of Psalm 6, he said, all of God's delays are a maturing. And I read that, I'm like, circle, star, underline, right? Put it in the sermon. All of God's delays are a maturing either of the time as in Psalm 37 or of the man as in Psalm 119.67. And in Psalm 6, it's both. Time is maturing because this is long and the man is maturing because God is allowing David to grow in his faith during the difficult things that David is facing. And we want out, but God's like, stay in and I'm gonna show you who I am. Bottom line is David needed God's grace, so he did what? He asked for it. And so I'm gonna do something at the end of every point uh, this morning. I just want us to say the phrase. I just want us to say together, I need your grace to the Lord, all right? I need your grace, all right? That's the first plea of an abiding Christian during despair. Here's the second one. It's I need your steadfast love. I need your steadfast love. Look at verses four and five. It says, turn, O Lord. 
So this is David giving God a command. Is that okay? It is. When it's according to his word, he's holding God to his promises, right? So David, I mean, this is brazen. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of what? For the sake of your steadfast love. He's like, be consistent, God, with your character. Save me according to your steadfast love. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Circumstantially, David had reason to deconstruct his faith and rebel. He's like, God says these things, these things aren't happening, so I'm gonna deconstruct. God says these things, these things aren't happening, so I'm gonna rebel. And instead of that popular wrong direction, David appealed to God's steadfast love. Steadfast love in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament is written in, is the word hesed, and we just spell it H-E-S-E-D. And it refers to the covenant love of God because of your faith in Jesus. So you placed your faith in Jesus. You were adopted as his son or daughter. God loves you in a covenant way by purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. He loves you with his hesed love, with his covenant love. And God's steadfast love is based on his character and not ours. Amen? Because if God's covenant love, if his steadfast love was based on our lack of steadfast love, we would be in big trouble, right? Because all of us are sinners, and consistently so. Steadfast love is also translated loving kindness, which is the combination of the word loving and kindness. And then they take the space out and they put them together and you think that is an amazing characteristic. Yes, please. Lord, if you are loving kindness, I want that, right? So steadfast love is translated as loving kindness, is also translated as unfailing love, which is awesome. Like there is no love that's unfailing except for God's love, amen? And so steadfast love is translated in three different ways, steadfast love, loving kindness, or unfailing love, and all of them really mean the same thing. God's love doesn't fail. He is with you. He is not left or forsaken you. So David is, a fee, is appealing to the steadfast love of God, and that is a very important thing to cling to when you're feeling that God is against you. In fact, steadfast love is the theme of David's prayers in chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six. David actually refers to himself as the loving kind one in chapter four, which is interesting. He's like, God, you've given me your character. I am becoming a loving kind one like you are. You're transforming me. I'm bearing your image. And so God, I wanna, I match up with you. The wicked don't match up with you. So why are you treating me like I'm the wicked? It's part of his appeal. And then in chapter five, verse six, he, he, calls, he appeals to God's steadfast love. And then here in 6.4, he appeals to God's steadfast love. So what is David getting at? He's getting at, Lord, I am like you because you've made me like you. You've saved me by grace through faith. And the wicked are not like you. So what's happening here is not right. So I'm appealing to your word to change things. He's saying, turn, O Lord, deliver me. And his reason to want to live, his reason to appeal to God to turn and deliver him is not just because pain is hard and because death is near, but it's because David wants to keep praising God on the earth. And that's verse six, or that's verse five. He says, for in death, there's no remembrance of you in Sheol, who will praise you? 
He's like, no one else is praising you, Lord. Why are you trying to take out? It seems that you're trying to take out the one person who is wanting to praise you. So he's like, let me live, Lord, so that I can continue to praise you in the midst of this people. So like Paul in Philippians 1.21, David is thinking to live is Christ. Plea one, when you're going through despair, is I need your grace. Plea two is I need your steadfast love. So let's say that, say that together. I need your steadfast love. Right, here's the third one. It's I am weary of grief. I am weary of grief. Verses six and seven. It says, I am weary, of gre- weary with my moaning. Every night, I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Y'all, that's rough. And it's honestly more rough in the Hebrew, which is strikingly poetic. The Hebrew poetry here is David's writing, my bed is floating on my tears. My bedroom is so full of tears that my bed is buoyant now. It's floating. There's a flood of tears in my bedroom. And then, and then the Hebrew is, his couch is dissolving because of the tears. So yeah, David is wrecked. And remember, it said every night, every night. So if you're not yet familiar with King David or if you're not a a very emotional person, you might scoff at this as emotionalism. Um, Be like, what a weakling. Like, seriously, dude, overstatement? But remember, David killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands and none of you ever did that, right? Like, David's tough. He's a warrior. He's a warrior king, but he's also tender. I think he's more of a warrior than any of us. I think he's more tender than any of us. And then we think about Jesus, more of a warrior than David and more tender than David. Literally defeated sin and death and rose from the dead and so tender that he would change our souls and and be the means of adoption into the eternal kingdom of God so that we can have a relationship with God. Talk about tenderness. Jesus' nickname is is, uh, acquainted with grief. His nickname is the man of sorrows, right? Like, what do you want your nickname to be? The man of what or the woman of what? Like, what if mine was like the man with a good jump shot, right? That'd be cool. Like, I'm going after stuff like that. Jesus is going after the man of sorrows, right? Like, our goals are completely different. I have a terrible jump shot, just so you all know, all right? Jesus rose from death and also is acquainted with grief. And we see these tender warriors and the, the fact that Jesus could pray in the garden and weep as he's going to the cross but still stay on that mission. He's the God-man, the tender warrior who would redeem our souls. 
Y'all, in our minds might be a sense of abiding being only happy. Like we see that word and we're like happy and abide mean the same thing. And so I'm not happy today, so that means I'm not abiding. And I just want you to erase that as false because we're reading Psalm 6 and God is teaching us how to abide in the midst of not being happy. Agree? How many of you think that David is happy in Psalm 6? Good job. You didn't raise your hands. Good job. He's not happy, but is he abiding? He's absolutely abiding. He's praying. He's praying Psalm 2. He's trusting Jesus. He's trusting Jesus with God's word. He is abiding. And so there's this category for us that we have to mature in as believers to recognize that you can abide through lots of different emotional expressions. Right? We, we might just smile even when things are tough. But like, what if, what if when someone asks you at the beginning of small group, like, hey, how was your week? Instead of being like, fine, because you just want to go, you're going for the brownies, right? Um, instead, you're like, brownies in five minutes. Um, I'm kind of languishing this week. And then the person who asked you wanted to hear fine because they also want brownies. <laughs> But you say languishing and you're like, okay, that's what this is about tonight. And you can be the person that's approachable so that someone who's languishing can come to you and then when you're languishing, you can go to other approachable people and get cared for and just be honest with them, right? And, and you know what that is? You know what that conversation is? You know what that con- conversation allows for? Abiding. Abiding. Right? It's, it's hard to abide when we're being dishonest. It's hard to abide when we're not telling one another what, what, what's going on. It's hard to abide when we're not telling God what's going on. Psalm, Psalm 3 is filled with tears while things are tough. And David is for sure abiding. Last night, last night I, I texted some dear friends who buried their dad yesterday. And uh, he died about a week and a half ago. And um, we, Vanessa and I went to the service yesterday just encouraging them, like, y'all, your eulogies 100% glorified God. Like, everybody there heard the gospel. Anybody who didn't know Jesus Christ now knows how they could place their faith in him. Like, great job, and you honored your dad, and the legacy of his faith in your family is amazing, all that. Just encouraging them. And, and then I just sent a text to them, new mercies tomorrow morning, just like every day. Because that day, after you've laid a loved one to rest, that next day, it's, it's a surreal day. Two surreal days back to back. And then to realize God's mercies are new every morning, even those mornings, is an amazing thing for us to have. His steadfast love, his grace, it endures. It's always the same. God is always the same through all the different things that we face. So so we're facing different things, but God is the same. So through the different things that we're facing, we come to the same God. And Psalm 6 is the language of deep despair so that we can come to God during those deep despairs. Y'all, I want, I want everyone, just look at me for a sec. As your pastor who loves you so much, I really want you to capture this, okay? Abiding can look like weeping, right? Abiding can look like frustration with God. Abiding can look like asking God really big questions. Abiding can look like raw emotional requests. I just want us to know that as a church, that abiding isn't only happy. Abiding doesn't mean fine. Abiding can mean what we see in Psalm 6. Are you with me on that? Let's be a real church. Like real, 
You know what I mean by that? Real in the sense of authenticity and genuineness before the Lord. Like we're feeling this, we're facing this, we're talking to each other about it. And more than that, we're talking to the Lord about it. It's abiding when your object remains the Lord. That's what abiding is. The subject can be the despair that you're facing, but it's abiding when your object remains the Lord. Now, your object could remain the subject, and that's not abiding, right? Abiding is when the subject is difficult or whatever it is, and your object is the Lord. Lord, here's what I'm facing. Here's what I'm feeling. Help me, Lord. David's object, though despairing, was the Lord, and it's the Lord, is the Lord the object of your heart? Is the Lord the object of your mind? Is the Lord the object of your soul and strength? So the third one, we've seen, I need your grace. We've seen and said, I need your steadfast love. The third one is, I am weary of grief. So let's say that together. I am weary of grief. We can say these things to the Lord. David did. And God performed a transforming miracle in David's life. And that gets us to this fourth one. And it's this, I trust that you hear me. Verses eight through 10. Let's look at this. (laughs) David says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Uh, that is a language change, all right? We've, we've been through verses one through seven and this guy's crying, like his, his bedroom and living room are flooded with tears and then he's saying, depart from me, all you workers. So something happened during verses one through seven that leads to eight through 10. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So David is transformed. Actually, better said, God has transformed David from fearful despair to defiant faith. And it's okay to be in fearful despair. As long as you're telling the Lord you're in that so that he can over time, and that might be an hour, it might be a minute, it might be weeks, it might be months, it might be a year. So that over time, he can get you to defiant faith. David's voice is the voice of a king again. But more than that, it's the voice of faith. It's the voice of faith. It's been the voice of faith because he's crying out to the Lord. But now it's like, oh man, I believe Psalm 2. Like, God, you're gonna crush the wicked. You're with me, you're gonna crush them. I want to praise you so that they could place their faith in you, but if, if, if they don't, you're going to crush them. And so he knows God is with him. Three times he, he says a phrase that means God has heard me. Three times in verses 8 through 10. Then he says God will trouble the wicked in four different phrases in verses 8 through 10. David was down in the depths where it was so dark, and now David's face is lit up by faith. The first half of Psalm 6 was full of petitions. The second half has zero. And that's really the book of Psalms in so many ways. So many Psalms are like that. You bring all these requests to the Lord, all of these complaints or fears or confusing things, and that's the first half of the Psalm or the first three quarters of the song, and then the last few verses are like, God, I trust you. Thank you for allowing me to pray. Thank you for giving me the language to pray because I have faith in you again. Thank you for allowing me this tunnel of prayer so that I can get to you and that you can transform my heart from, uh, from despair to defiant faith. So what's happened for David is 
He's abiding in Jesus with God's word. He's like, Jesus is on his holy hill. I know that because of Psalm 2. I know that because God said his promise is, is a future king named, named who will be Jesus. And I believe that. I believe that. It seems he's been taken off the hill, but he hasn't. He took Psalm 2 to the Lord, and the Lord poured faith into him. And that's exactly what we have to do through everything that you're facing. You get your Bible and you get a psalm that matches generally what you're saying and you take that psalm to the Lord and you allow the Lord to take faith to you, to bring faith to you. Give him his language that's good for you and then he returns with an answering touch. What David received from God was an answering touch. I read that phrase multiple times uh, preparing this, and I, I just thought, that's an interesting phrase. An answering touch is assurance from God. It's not like, I got a good feeling about this, or I feel a little bit better because I got that off my chest. It's not like, man, I had a good venting session. This is way better than all of that. An answering touch from the Lord. And David received that. It's assurance from God that he is still with you. Right, we think of the phrase, the New Testament phrase, peace that surpasses all understanding. The, the beauty of that phrase is no one thinks peace that surpasses all understanding is for the, for the man or woman who's, everything's going great for them right now. Peace that surpasses all understanding means, no, they're still in the despair and the depths, but they have a peace. And who is that from? It's from the Lord. You can't, you can't just like meditate yourself toward that unless your meditation is on the Lord himself. And the Lord has done that for him. He gave him an answering touch. The circumstances were exactly the same. It's not like Absalom suspended his conspiracy against his dad. It's not like all the assassins suddenly, you know, like fainting goaded or whatever and they're just there, right? Like there's, it's all of this is still happening but David now has an answering touch that God's with him, and so it produces these defiant against the wicked prayers in verses eight through 10. David's prayer is exemplary, exemplary for us, and we can follow it. It's why it's written down for us. It's why it's preserved for us. It's why the Holy Spirit of God has preserved this for us and written it down so that we could have it. And David's prayer is also an arrow for us. It's an arrow to the Lord Jesus, Right, Jesus went through these things. He's feeling the wickedness of this world. He's literally being shamed while on a cross. Lies are being spewed against him. He knows they are so wrong. He's praying, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they do. Then he died bearing our guilt. The sinless one bearing our guilt and he died and he was crushed. His body crushed. The most pain a human can ever feel, he felt. He felt it physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of that mentally, and he died. And then he goes and he fights all, all of death and wins and he rises from the dead. And by placing our faith in him, the one who fought sin and death and who rose from the dead, we also can be delivered from our death sentence to the Lord and have life in him. It's pointing to Jesus, the one who went through this ourselves and says these defiant things against the wicked. So the huge question here, the biggest question every Sunday and every time for any of you who don't know the Lord is have you placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know him? Do you know today that you're saved? Do you know today that you're forgiven? 
Because it's one thing to go through difficult, dark times when you're forgiven. It's a very different thing to go through difficult, dark times when you're not forgiven because then it's double difficulty. And you can be delivered from sin by placing your faith in Jesus. All right, the second question is, are you abiding in Jesus today? Can you abide in Jesus during difficult, despairing times? And it doesn't mean like a snap of the fingers. I think that's what we, we think, like Psalm 6. Oh yeah, if I pray Psalm 6, boom, just like this. But remember, David said, but Lord, but you, O Lord, how long? Sometimes it takes time to materialize. But we can abide in the Lord in these ways. It's cool to know that David wrote Psalm 6 and then handed it to the choir master to be sung. All right, can you all imagine that? Like, I didn't read the superscript this time, but Psalm 6 superscript, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemineth, we don't know what that is, it says a Psalm of David. So David wrote this and said, here's a lyric for a song that's gonna be sung in the congregation. Could you all imagine us gathering together and singing phrases like, I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with we These are not exactly songs that would be on the top 100 Christian music list. But they're real and they made the top 150 in the Bible. Why? It's because all of us suffer. All of us go through these things and God is giving us so that the congregation would sing these things. This isn't just for individuals, it's for the congregation. And in just a moment, this is gonna be really cool. Charles has put this to music and he's gonna come and sing it. And we're just gonna chill and behold, and then the band's gonna come up and do a closing song. So that's in just a sec. So um, we just wanna reflect. We wanna reflect on this. And, and it's, it's verbatim Psalm 6. So you can have your Bible open. We don't need a slide because we're looking at the Bible already. All right. So I wanna ask, are you in the depths of despair needing help? And if so, Psalm 6 is a go-to. It gives us four things. Don't write these down, just listen. It gives us four things. One, it gives us language to ask the God of grace for help. Right? All the Psalms do. Psalm 6 in a particular way. It gives us freedom to weep when we're weary. Like weeping is good crying, y'all. That's good crying, right? There's crying, then there's weeping. Um, it gives us the goal of life being praising God while we're alive. It's not just to get through it, but it, God, I want to get through it so that I can praise you better. And then it gives us a reminder that God receives our prayers. He receives our prayers. He hears us. Right. There's a a hymn uh, by John Newton. John Newton's the one that wrote uh, Amazing Grace. A hymn he wrote, it's called Approach My Soul, Thy Mercy Seat. And a line in it says this. Thy promise is my only plea. With this I venture nigh. Thou callest burdened souls to thee and such, O Lord, am I. And I just want us to doesn't have to sound exactly like John Newton, but I want us to be able to say things like that to the Lord, be honest, and just take all of that straight to him as, as the object of our prayers. So let's pray, and as I pray, Charles is gonna come up, all right? Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for this time um, and your word, and just ask your grace over uh, this church and what we face and feel, Lord, I, I hope that it's not a lot of us that are in the depths right now, but I know for sure that some are. And we pray your, your answering touch for them right now. And God, I pray that all of us would be the type of people who can be approached with languishing 
and we can receive that and love well. I pray also we'll be the type of people that would reach out to others when we are in that spot, so help God. Certainly, Lord, we pray that you would forgive anyone today who would say to you, Lord, forgive me. We know that you do when we confess you and believe in you that you forgive. So if there's anybody here watching today that doesn't know you, I pray they place their faith in you. God, help us. Help us be a genuine, authentic church. Pray in your psalms. Thank you for your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.